Hello and welcome to the Big Bright Podcast. My name's Emma and today I'm welcoming Martine Warburton and Andy Borton from Husky Studio. Martine and Andy formed Husky Studio after both running successful design businesses individually. Both have young families and after evaluating and discussing their ideal work-life balance, they realised that they'd be stronger as a pack and Husky was born. Both talented designers, they bring their own strengths to the table and with over 40 years of combined experience, they seem to have the knack for understanding the bigger picture and always seek to delve deeper into the task at hand and offer their expertise. If it sounds like I'm fangirling, then you'd be right. I've worked alongside Martin and Andy for the past three years at Bright and on other projects. We've asked them onto the podcast today to discuss their brand discovery process, the magic ingredient to every project they take on. So welcome, Martin and Andy. Thank you. Hello. That was quite an introduction. (laughs) I know. So before we get stuck into the juicy topic of branding, which is obviously your forte, can you tell us a little bit more about Husky Studio and how you met? Yeah, sure. Husky Studio, I mean, we we tend to focus most of our efforts these days on ambitious small to medium companies and help them make an impact so or launch a product we like getting into those sort of juicy branding projects don't we a lot of it is digital design so user-centered design ux ui anything else <laughs> i guess there's the sort of story of how we met because you're well you were both based in brighton and now obviously yeah. andy's in worthing martin's in woodingdean yeah Well, I I was commuting up to London when we first met every Mm. day and it was exhausting. So I was like, I need to make more connections in Brighton. So I went to a coffee morning and met Martine. (laughs) I don't remember what we said, but very soon I I was freelancing for you. Yeah, I think I needed freelancers as while I was there. So Uh, Um, so this was when you were running your previous company. Yeah, Puree Design. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I started freelancing for you and then you went on maternity leave quite soon after that, I think. So I was trusted to man the ship. the clients, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you got back, we started talking about setting up together because I think we realised we have quite a lot of overlapping skills but can also bring other stuff to the table, individual talents that we had. And, uh, yeah, we haven't looked back, really. Two years of solid work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I love yeah. that. And I like how you both were at a time that maybe you both wanted to join forces as well and that work-life yes. balance, which is so important, isn't it? And to be able to not just be a one-man band or a one-woman band, it's quite important to have that support. We spent quite a lot of time actually before we we sort of merged the companies talking about what our life goals, business goals were. And we only really committed to it when we were really sure we both had the same goals in mind. And that's made the whole thing so much easier for both of us. Well, we both both had children about the same time. Yeah, we both got kids within three months of each other age-wise. Yeah. So we, we uh, know what's going on for each other at home and uh, yeah. that helps with work life as well. Massively. So a question I love to ask people on digital is, how would your parents describe what you do for a living? <laughs> this is often hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. So actually what I did for this question I actually just called my mum and asked her what I did for a living see what she'd say (laughs) disappointingly not that funny she told me that I'm a designer and I design lots of websites but I like to work on pamphlets and things as it stretches me more creatively (laughs) (laughs) pamphlets is like I don't know no one uses that word anymore, do they? My dad, I didn't ask him because actually he's an occasional client of ours. So he has more of an idea what we do. He'd probably say something about sort of logo design and UI. The thing that both of them kind of skim past really don't realise is the the extra detail. You know, we're not just making things look nice, which is probably the impression they have. It's more about understanding business goals, understanding users, sort of the thinking that goes into developing a brand. And that's the kind of the level that they probably don't see. No. 
They just yeah. see the end product, you know. And that's exactly. what definitely what we'll cover later. But mm. I'm well impressed that your dad knows about UI. Well, yeah. I mean, or does he, he just say he, it as he, in like a terminology? He, uh, I don't know if he would use the word UI, but I've designed interfaces for his company before. So he'd probably know. Yeah. 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 And Andy, what would yours say? Oh, they, they both say website designer, which is kind of what I was originally 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of niched down a bit since then. I love that, but sometimes it's just easier just to be like, yeah, that's yeah. what I do. It's, it's still is a fairly accurate <laughs> description. My my Lame granddad, who's sort of mid eighties, he describes like I do desktop publishing. What even is desktop publishing? <laughs> exactly, I love something that. that existed before oh, I got yes. into design. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Desktop publishing. When a project comes in, how do you decide who should work on it? Yeah, well, we've got quite good overlapping skill set so it means whoever's got the capacity in their schedule we tend to divvy it up quite evenly you know I, I tend to enjoy untangling knotty UX problems promotional videos animation Martin tends to do or enjoy the juicy branding projects running brand discovery workshops illustrations mm. custom illustrations yeah I, I particularly enjoy when there's an opportunity to do illustration for clients because I think it adds something really unique to their brand that no one else has got something quite the same definitely yeah. you don't often see it do you because mm. it adds a level i suppose of cost onto a website because yeah it, it is do. bespoke isn't it As something I've, I've done a bit recently on a few projects is i've actually gone right back to sort of analog and got paints and inks out to create textures and things and that's something i guess that i'm more prone to doing and that's a nice aspect to add to some so would you say well. you're more kind of artistic off the off the web Oh, I don't know. I think we're both pretty artistic, but I guess maybe I bring the paints to work slightly more often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love that. And I think that's nice for brands to see as well when they can see that it really is unique, isn't it? You've mm. actually sat down and sketched something out or you've, you know, swashed some paints across a piece of paper. And that's something that you wouldn't necessarily think a web designer or a desktop publisher mm. would do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So how have things been for both of you since COVID hit? And have you noticed any noticeable changes in the way that you are working now? Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually. We've never been busier. We were quite surprised by, but obviously very grateful for. And I think the reason for that is, is as opposed to previous recessions where people cut the marketing budget immediately, people have realised that actually the way to last this out is to pivot or to change their offering, perhaps take it more online and to actually spend on, on the marketing because that's the way you engage people and draw people to your product. So we've been really lucky to help quite a few of our clients change their offering, think about how their brand reflects that, develop new products. And so it's been actually a great opportunity for us and for our clients to take things in a slightly new direction. And I guess in terms of remotely working, we've definitely been thinking more about how to perhaps run our brand workshops online, which is a bit more of a challenge as we love doing them face to face. But we've definitely given some thought to how we can get all the information we need in a more online format. I think that's the challenge everyone's facing at the mm. moment, isn't it? Doing everything mm. on Zoom. Especially when you're working from home and you have little toddlers <laughs> coming in and interrupting. <laughs> You need to like put, well, I don't know how you lock on them out. Lock on the door. Yeah, lock, lock yeah, on the lock door. The door. Mute everything. <laughs> Defining a strong brand is what seems to light your collective fires. But how does a company know when it's time to be brand? And do you have any tips on how or where they should begin that process? I think sometimes the companies we work with, they don't know it themselves to begin with. But generally, times to rebrand fall into a few categories. So if your audience has changed, for example, you might look like everybody else in your industry. 
which might not be great if you want to stand out. Strategies change. Pivoting, we've seen a lot of that recently. Or your brand expanded or evolved or your product range has got a lot bigger. Other things are like, if it doesn't reflect your values. You know, sometimes we have companies, there's no pride in their branding anymore. So that that's a good reason to look at it. Or equally, your brand might feel outdated. And sometimes, you know, logos aren't fit for purpose on, on the internet. You know, online, there's loads of applications they need to work with now. Social media has very small profile pictures. So a lot of complicated logos that were created a few years ago or even created recently, but just haven't, that thought hasn't gone into it. We give a lot of thought to that, that sort of responsiveness of the logo, which is a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Other things might be like the brand guidelines are too restrictive or impractical. So we have quite often helped expand brand assets because the client is struggling with what they've got. Other things might be the current logos produce pretty quickly or cheaply for a launch they need to upgrade it really something a bit more professional yeah i think on the pride thing that can be a really interesting one because sometimes you find members of staff perhaps within the team don't really want to send out their brochure anymore or they kind of don't like giving out Mm. the web address and that sort of lack of pride if the team doesn't want to show their own brand that's a real warning sign or you can sometimes find that people go kind of off script on their own brand guidelines and they're not following them anymore. And you find out it's almost because they're bored with what they have. Refreshing a brand can make everyone in the company feel really proud of who they work for and really want to put it out there. Where do people generally find you? Hmm. I mean, we're really lucky to get a lot of work through recommendation. It's important to look for a company that's doing work that you like, but also a company that is really going to strive to understand you because there's a lot of designers out there with kind of have a portfolio of beautiful logos, for example. But if there isn't the thinking and the legwork there to really understand a brand, you're going to end up with another brand that doesn't really represent you. The kind of brands that everyone really gets on board with and really engages your audience are the ones that really understand who they're talking to and who they're representing And that's what our process tries to do is to kind of get under the skin a bit. So we're not just creating a a pretty logo. So have you got any examples of um, some amazing kind of brand changes that you've done or brand expansions? Two clients I really like to talk about. One of them I'm really excited to talk about. I guess it's almost an an exclusive because it's not yet launched. A local brand called Truthpaste. They make ethical natural toothpaste. Very Brighton. Yeah, it is (laughs) very Brighton. Um, And that's been a really lovely one to work on because it's a business that started basically with a Prince's Trust grant and the toothpaste being made in a, a kitchen in Brighton and has grown massively. And the brand that they had reflected their sort of humble roots, really. It was probably quite quickly produced and it was more of just a logo rather than a brand, really. So we went through a brand discovery process with them initially just to look at at logo and quite a small brand suite and ended up looking at all of their packaging and marketing material. It, It was really great working with Marissa, who runs Truthpaste, because she really engaged with the questions we asked her about the brand. I think she definitely wins the prize for the for the best answer for one of the questions we ask is about if your brand were a person you know who would they be and often you get the celebrity name and and they leave it to you to think about who you associate with that person we got a beautifully detailed sort of profile of the kind of person the brand was who was it oh I'm I'm not sure I should share all the juicy detail but um 
it was just that the level of thought and detail in that is really inspiring to us because it really helps us put ourselves in their shoes if you like good answers to those questions makes our job so much easier and and marissa had a really good idea of who they were as a company that makes it so much easier doesn't it when the actual the owner of the brand really understands you know they might not know how to portray it in a design way but the fact that they've really thought into you know who their brand is and what they want it to say and and the, the almost the voice so that must make your life much easier yeah well we we work with you quite often on tone of voice yeah we do a lot of tone <laughs> yeah. of voice and actually that's another thing that quite a lot of companies come to later on mm. so they'll do everything else first and then they'll sort of realize that maybe their communications is quite are quite disjointed over different channels yeah and then it's like amending the brand guidelines to include that But I think that's quite often something that gets missed right at the beginning. And as we know, that's Mm. a really important part of of creating a brand is like, what is your voice and who are you Mm. talking to? And and how do you want to come across? Love a bit of tone of voice. (laughs) I do. The other things we like to ask is about um, how they want their audience to feel when they use the product or the service. And I got some really nice words from that that were quite inspiring. I've got words like uh, lively, confident, fresh, sparkly. They were quite emotive. And what we ended up doing was creating custom patterns for the jars, which were painted using toothbrushes. So each range of toothpaste has a different custom pattern. And we've used really bright colours, which reflect some quite unusual toothpaste ingredients. So I think hopefully the new brand will feel sort of sparkly and fresh. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see it out there. Yeah, so am I. I yeah. think that sounds amazing. Well, I've I've seen a sneak peek, so I've been let in, but I can't <laughs> wait to see them on the shelf. Another good example is a client of ours called Under the Doormat, who I've been lucky enough to be working for for more than six years now with my previous company and now together as Husky. They've been on quite an interesting <laughs> brand journey because when I started working with them, I was working almost directly with the, the founder And it was sort of her and a part-time marketing assistant. And I designed their first brand. They use words to describe their first brand, like sort of quirky, friendly. And the brand really reflected that. We had an illustration style with quite jaunty angles and the colour palette was very bright, lots of oranges, teals, yellows. And then um, now, six years later and two rebrands later, their audience has really changed. Their service has changed. So they're much more premium luxury brand now. It's like a premium hosted Airbnb style service with hotel quality service. You know, they've got houses in Mayfair, you know, worth hundreds and hundreds of pounds a night. The service they offer is like sort of five star service. So we've gone from those quite quirky, bright colours, quite playful to something just sort of creams and golds, navy. It's more understated, but more classic, if you like. So there's a brand that the audience has changed and the level of service they offer has changed massively and the brand has really evolved and they've recognized that their audience and their services changed and brought us back to update the brand to really attract the right people. They were astute enough to realize that and actually say this isn't working for that audience Mm. anymore which must be quite hard to do in a way because you're probably quite happy just to chug along sometimes and think well this has always worked but when your audience has changed that dramatically you've got to adapt with it. Absolutely Mm. and I think the rebrand really helped them because they've gone through several rounds of funding as well and that really helped them appear more credible and attract more homeowners to to shortlet their houses. So I think taking that braver leap because the last rebrand was quite a departure from what they had 
whereas the middle one was more of just a tweak. Yeah, it has really helped on their journey in terms of attracting investors, attracting the right audience. So You've mentioned brand audits being a useful tool. So can you explain a little bit more about what these are and how you would implement one? Yeah, definitely. This, again, is about really understanding the current state of the company and what it is they're trying to do. We do things like have a look at all of their brand assets, find out what's working and not working. And if we can find out from their audience as well as the company themselves, that can really help because often the company's own view of how they're perceived can be quite different from how their audience perceives them. It's really important to to check that. Yeah, so one of the exercises we really like to do as part of a brand audit is these sliders or scales. I tend to pick pairs of words like um, fun or serious, approachable and authoritative or something like that. And uh, we get the client to plot where they are and where they want to be. And what that does is offer a really good hint of how they see themselves, where they want to move to, but also how big the leap's going to be. If they're right at opposite ends of the scale, you know this is not just going to be a tweak to their brand. This is going to be a real start from scratch. But yeah, so it shows you the direction, but also the the scale of the change you want to make. And the other thing we like to do is get them to plot perhaps their competitors on the same scales. It lets you see, oh, we want to be more fun than this brand or perceived as less serious. So that really helps to give context. People have different ideas of what's a fun brand or what's a serious brand. So that can give you some real context. Oh yeah, I think ultimately it's just about really understanding better where the client wants to be and what their goals are. And understanding their goals helps you understand how much of a rebrand they need. And yeah, we go from there with brand discovery really to get even further into who they are as a company. Well, that leads us really nicely, Martine, onto our next uh, question, which I think Andy's going to cover. And something that we really like to do on the podcast is to give kind of tangible advice to people that might be, you know, looking to rebrand or, you know, anything that we're talking about. So once you've done the audit and you've determined that client does need help with the rebrand, what is your process and what can people kind of expect the process to be if they rebranded with Husky? Yeah, we have a pretty good process we've refined over the years tends to start with a brand questionnaire so we get the client thinking about audiences brand values characteristics and goals if they haven't already that's a really good starting point it's the bare bones really and how many people do you think have done that work before is it, it quite rare? <laughs> it depends. Sometimes they've got experience of doing it before, especially if it's a rebrand with us. Other times we, we literally talk them through the questions on the phone. Um, sometimes yeah. they open that up and they've never thought about their business in that way before. Yeah, what's nice about it is it helps them get clear on what they need because sometimes that's not completely clear to start with. Exactly. It gives us a structure. Yeah, based on that questionnaire, we tend to then go on to customise and prepare for brand workshop activities, you know, post-its where we're sorting out characteristics. We ask why a lot, like like a two-year-old that we know so well, just trying to delve deeper to really understand what's going on. And that helps establish the company's why, how and what, which are fairly key pillars. Sorting archetypes, that's a good exercise. We can really dig deeper into the personality of the brand then. Just for people that don't know, what does that entail? Archetypes is a really good one, one that a lot of companies really enjoy engaging as as an activity and I've got this fantastic set of 60 archetypes and they're kind of typical character types that you might recognize from stories like the hero or the joker yeah the joker (laughs) and there's certainly some in there that companies never go for Mm. what's really 
interesting is when especially if you have more than one person in a workshop and they have these discussions because what we ask them to do is narrow down the 60 cards to ideally three that really represent the character of their company and the conversations they have about which one to throw out which one to keep are so revealing often the reason why they really want to throw one out is more informative than the cards they end up with you know we're definitely not this type of person because and that could be a really key characteristic of theirs you know we're not judgmental we're getting rid of the judge you know and that can be really informative so I always try and record those conversations with permission of course because the, those conversations they have about why someone's really passionate to keep a particular archetype can be really informative later mm, on. Really insightful. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And a nice kind of like activity you can do that's not just sat at a computer. It's quite interactive, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? quite fun. Yeah. Yeah, you can get multiple stakeholders involved and... Multiple and opinions. Watch, the, watch the arguments commence. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, on top of that, we, we do the sliding scales. We mm. just talked about which um, are really informative, uh, and discuss competitive brand examples, which, again, I guess helps you understand where you are in the landscape and where you want to be, perhaps, or who you don't want to be like. Or... A big important part of this process is also audience personas. So we work really collaboratively with our clients. We develop out with the client, plus our own research into things like tasks they need to do, the audience, reservations they might have, their media habits. You have to be quite empathetic, I think, get under the skin and think about who your audience is. And we put all this together in a summary document at the end. That's that's an important part. So it goes back to the stakeholders and we all agree that's the basis for the direction we need to head in. And this is all before any talk of design mm. has even hit the table, really, mm. isn't it? This is before, you yeah. know, logos yeah. have been dreamt up. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's really important work, yeah. to get this right. But once we're all happy with that document, that's when it's time to get creative. And do you feel that that process really puts trust from the client to you guys because they, they know that you've done that background work and that they understand that you understand their brand so they're more yeah. are they more happy with letting you go off and, and develop those design routes from that yeah I mean it's really collaborative and we don't just go away and squirrel ourselves away until it's finished we will come back throughout the next process and have regular check-ins different milestones to ensure we're still on the same page you know when we start producing uh, mood boards you know, we'll come back and start narrowing down the direction and agreeing with the client what we like and what we don't like. And that helps, you know, because it can get really subjective. Keeping the client in the loop as we go collaboratively is a big part of that. What we establish in that discovery process is a really useful measurement for us when we're coming up with ideas to, to come up with an idea and then go back to what we discovered and say, would this audience persona be interested in this? Does this colour evoke the feeling that we said we wanted to evoke? And so it becomes a really useful way for us to check in and make sure we haven't gone off course. That really helps when you present back to our clients because they understand why we've picked a particular font or a particular colour and we make it very clear why we make those decisions so they're not random. And that really helps with the sign-off process because the client's been involved in the discovery, they understand what we're trying to achieve and then we're able to justify design decisions based on the document that we collectively made. So it's a really neat way of getting everyone on board with what you've developed and just making sure that you're keeping the audience and company persona in mind. And I think this is definitely something you should share with your parents and grandparents. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that they understand well, they got what the happened. Podcast now. <laughs> exactly, I was going to say, to tell them to download yeah. it from Spotify. Yeah. Who would be your dream client? So maybe dream clients as there's two of you. 
Yeah, I think uh, we found it quite difficult to name a particular company, but I think what we're both pretty agreed on is that we love working with companies. They're often quite on the smaller side companies, but with people who are really excited about where they're taking their business, if it's launching a new product or it's the enthusiasm of the people we work with that we Mm. really thrive off. And it's fun to be around when someone's super excited about the thing they're launching. So yeah, that's just really inspiring for us. I guess I'd also quite like to work with companies perhaps that have a bit of an ethical standpoint, anything to do with climate change. It'd be lovely to work with companies that have got that kind of point of view, because it would be lovely to put our skills towards a cause like that. It's using your skills for the greater good. Yeah. And it's always nice, isn't it, to work for, you know, companies who you really believe in and you really, yeah. you know, love what they're selling or what they're, you know, offering. I think we all kind of aligned on that from projects yeah. we've worked on together. Yeah. And also people that trust in your abilities and, you know, the yes. fact that you will make the right decisions for them. Because it's a big lot of trust, isn't it? Yeah, actually, yeah. that's that's another thing that uh, I thought about before it's really nice to work with a client that has the trust in our experience and is willing to be quite brave or creative because it's a lot of fun and often they'll get something that's a lot more engaging as a result but there's definitely an element of trust in that and we love clients that can trust us to push them a bit further creatively yeah and a good company ethos you know if they've got a good company culture you know we like to be part of that you know we're sociable beings yeah exactly (laughs) but we can't you know we've become part of the team quite often yeah, Which and I lovely. think that's when yeah when you're when you're being so collaborative, it's quite nice to make those relationships, isn't it, with Definitely. the stakeholders? Yeah. Finally, my final question is: hmm. if you could run the Husky Pack anywhere in the world, where would you choose and why? I think this is quite funny <laughs> because we're remote working now. We don't even have to pick the same place, do no, we? You can go anywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, I say you can go anywhere in the world. Mm. Let's just let's just imagine twenty twenty didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> You can go anywhere in the world. Where would you go? Hands down for me would be the mountains. I can definitely see myself sat at a desk, you know, in a log cabin with a mountain view. Go on the snowboard before work or mountain bike hike in the summer. I just love being in the mountains. So if I could do that around around my work, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that does sound fab. But I also need to mix in a bit of Australian beaches. Ah, oh, so it got hot and cold. Yeah, I need the <laughs> hot and cold. I literally, if I could have it my way, it would be surfing in the summer. And snowboarding in the winter. I think if I could go somewhere that was cold but cosy, so maybe like mm. Lapland, Lapland. <laughs> just, with lots of like reindeer rugs and stuff. Yeah, get on and, the, husk, get the husky pack out. Yeah. literally. I just hop on the back of Martine's trip <laughs> and join her log cabin. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in or coming up to the the top floor because I know you guys only work you know a few floors down from us. If anyone's interested in anything that we've talked about today, um, we'll be linking everything on the podcast. You can find both Martine and Andy on LinkedIn and I'll pop those links on as well and if you'd like to check out some of their branding in action you can have a look at them on Instagram and that's at Husky Studio and that's Husky with two eyes, no Y. That's it. Well thank you so much for coming on guys it was really interesting to talk to you both. That's great thanks for having us. Yeah nice one cheers. Thanks for listening to the Big Bright Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to never miss an episode and check out our website at builtbybright.com Thank you.